Welcome to another edition of We Need to Talk About Movies. Brought to you by Banterflix.com. And now, here's your host, Jim McClain. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I am indeed your host, Jim McLean, the editor-in-chief of the Banterflix Movie Review website. Welcome to the latest episode of We Need to Talk About Movies. If this is your first time checking out this podcast, then welcome to the madness, dear listener. You might be wondering what it's all about. Well, it's pretty straightforward. Clues in the title. We need to talk about movies. Each week, we talk about a specific movie. It might be a new release, might be a cult classic, or it might be a movie you've never heard of. I gather together some contributors and we have a chat about the film. Sometimes we do get a little bit spoilerific, but we do warn you if that's the case. But more than anything, we try to have a little bit of fun in the process. Uh, This week, we have a pod special. We're going to be talking about The Racer. It's released in cinemas on the 18th of December, and it's also going to be available on VOD platforms, so you can buy or rent it online if you're not just ready right now to go back to the cinema in the current pandemic but uh, I'm going to be joined by local blogger James Oliver to chat about the film but before you hear James and I chatting I also got the opportunity to talk with actress Tara Lee over Zoom who plays a role within the film and before you hear that interview let's play a clip of The Racer. opportunity to say what an honor it is to host the first Tour de France outside mainland Europe. Dom is going to be riding in the Tour de France on Saturday. You gonna win? No, I'm a support rider. I use my energy for the lead rider to win. Don't you ever want to win yourself? Of course. But that's a dream. I hear this is your last tour. Tough shit. I need to know about next year. My contract. You're nearly 39 years old. What do you want me to say? The team needs your focus, love to distract you. What's the worst that can happen? If you don't take it, you won't win. Now give me, give me, give me. Why risk your life like that? Everybody doesn't. You're not even allowed to win. You're a loser. Professional loser. Tour starts tomorrow, 10 a.m. After the ground apart, you're out of contract, free to go. Without a bike, I'm nobody. Three. So that's a clip of The Racer, and I'm joined now by one of the film's stars, Tara Lee. Tara, tell us about The Racer. Tell our viewers and our listeners as much as they need to know going in to watch the film. So it's about it's when the Tour de France um, was in, it was held in Ireland in 98, and it follows a domestique, which is something that I didn't know was a thing, but it's a, it's a, it's a rider who's basically there to help the rest of the team and to help a lead rider win. 
Um, and it's kind of in the midst of the whole doping scandals. Um, there's some like a little love story in there. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a character study, I think, on Louis Talb's character. Um, and I play Lynn, a medical graduate who's on work placement in the Tour de France. And she's kind of almost naive to what these people put their bodies through. And obviously coming at it from a doctor's perspective, she's like, you know, why would you do this? So um, yeah, it's an interesting kind of like cross paths little moment. Yeah, I have to say, you've, you've preempted my next question when I was going to ask you about your character and the role they play within the narrative. So we, you, you've, you've touched on that. But uh, I, I've i watched the film now twice since we were sent the screener for it. I really enjoyed it. it granted, you know, watching some of the cycling, I do feel, you know, physically exhausted. It's like I've, I have friends that are cyclists and are big into their cycling. I don't know if that's your thing or not. I never, you know what I never really um I always found it interesting to watch it if it was on but I didn't mm. know anything about it I took one spin class in my life <laughs> never again um and you know you say it's exhausting watching it but being like all of us were in Luxembourg for the shoot and you know we finished shooting at five six o'clock and Louis would go on this massive cycle every single night like he had to stop eating at like three o'clock or something and I'm there like I'm gonna oh. go up He's not normal. He's not normal. That's, you know. His body. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, he, he did something that, I mean, I I would love to do at some point in my career, but, oh, my God, it was such hard work for him. And, um, yeah, so I really commend him for that. But, yeah, I never really – I think that's what I had in uh, – one of the things that I had in common with my character was that neither of us really knew anything about it. We just kind of found ourselves in a position where we were surrounded by – this world yeah because it's an interesting because we look at it it's a film it's set in 98 so it's a year before the lance the lance armstrong lance armstrong stuff kind of started and we look back on that now and i suppose that film's a nice little piece of putting that in the context that it didn't all start with with lance you know it was there before and it is rife in this you know there's this kind of blaseness about what's going on men yeah. just sitting in rooms just kind of yeah this is completely normal but yeah. um the one thing you've mentioned about your character what I did find about it was it's a very it's a very masculine heavy feature and you are the one kind of the one person of, of femininity is the best way of kind of talking about you're the feminine character in this but you hold your own you know you get to kind of I don't want to go into spoilers but you get to you know I, I said you know, get to throw a few punches that's not you know I, that's what I like about you I mean was that something that drew you in for that character the fact that was that how she was written was that kind of from you the fact that she she holds her own while she's coming in at this maybe slightly naive at times she yeah. she's never overawed by it yeah that's actually a really good kind of observation that you've made because it was I mean obviously from reading the script I could see okay I'm the only woman in this um and then you know you're going to be the only woman on set apart from some amazing members of crew um so what you're seeing in the film was the experience shooting it. And, you know, it doesn't phase me, if anything, mm. um, you know, when it's kind of a male dominant workspace, <laughs> it makes me want to work even harder to kind of like know my, like kind of make mark my territory and mm. prove that I'm capable just as much as they are. But I was also lucky because it was an amazing cast and, Louis and Ian Glenn particularly taught me some amazing stuff. They were so supportive because I, you know, I was so much younger and they're so established. And 
um they were really supportive but you know that scene that you're talking about um that that was written by Kieran and that I read that in the first um draft or the first draft that I got when I was auditioning and I was like oh my god I have to get this part this is so cool when do you see a scene where she gets to throw the first punch and on the day there was like you know questions about maybe changing it up a little bit and me and Kieran were like no she's throwing that first punch she's starting it and she's ending it don't think I got to end it in the end but <laughs> I got to start well, it it's definitely not a draw and I don't want to go to talk, I don't want to talk too much about it because people watching this and listening to this won't have seen the film yet but yeah you know you 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 definitely hold your own you, you've touched yeah. on it there what are your your memories of the shoot for the film gosh I mean the shoot if I remember a lot of back and forth to Luxembourg I remember exploring Luxembourg um and actually you know one of the first things that crops up in my mind was the most traumatizing day was the day that we did the blood the test tubes and all mm. oh my god I mean I have a fear of needles we can be friends we can be friends I that yeah I don't like I mean I was watching this both times I watched this and I I am like a big Nancy when I whenever like I'm kind of watching it, like do, do. this made it worse for me because I always felt like you know when you're watching that on tv or on a film and it's like oh it looks so real mm. it also feels real when you're doing it <laughs> like it's not like you're doing it and you can see the trickery in it mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned I was doing it and I had to be the worst thing is that there was a doctor to teach me how to do it as if I was doing it for real so I know too much I know too much about what can go wrong when you do something like that and now every time I have to go in and get a blood test I'm like no oh. Because you just you can see it like spurting out if the cotton wool doesn't nope. go on. No. Nope. Uh, so that's that was a really really traumatic day. Um, and actually, one of the best memories was we all went to a Nick Cave concert one night. Pretty cool. So you know it wasn't on the set, but it, <laughs> it was a good mm. ending to the day. But I mean, also shooting up in the Wicklow Mountains, which is actually up the road from where I am at the moment, that was beautiful. Um, so there's a lot of really good memories, a lot of terrifying memories, um, but it was a great shoot. It felt like I was learning and testing myself. I'm tempted to ask you, and I know this is just me from listening to you, you said you were exploring Luxembourg. So what, what did you find while you were exploring Luxembourg? So there's this little old town that's like, have you been to Luxembourg? No, it's somewhere, it's one of those places, it's it's on that scheme of, well, kind of especially now in the current current COVID world that we live in of you're going to say right when this is all done and dusted I am going to go back because I used to travel when I was younger oh. and then I get old and then yeah. it'll ha it'll happen to us all it happens to us all you eventually get old and you become a homeboy well I become a homeboy and you're just like I'm just going to yeah. stay at home and I can watch stuff on TV but I think from the the year that's been it's like right I am going to get out and travel so yeah. sell me sell me Luxembourg just because you've mentioned you explored Luxembourg sell me Luxembourg I will tell you my favorite things about Luxembourg so there is this shopping street full of the most amazing shops. So you can like walk down there, do a little bit of shopping. There's like loads of little patisseries selling amazing cakes and coffee. So you like get your lunch there. And then you go back to, there's like this, there's this kind of like massive cliff mountain area at the very end of the town. And you take in the view, because the view is the fucking best. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on no, that. You've done it now, it's okay. Maybe you can give me one of those cool little like beep blur things over my mouth. I'm not that good at editing. You're just going to have to accept that you've cursed. That's the way it's going to be. Then you go down these like stairs, these, and then you're in this old town. 
where it's just it feels so like enriched in history and I mean you could spend an entire day down there but it's just beautiful there's like a little botanical garden um loads of like really nice little restaurants a really nice little pub um it's just beautiful I mean you could you could do it in a day but a long weekend I think would really be the best there's also a place (laughs) we went somewhere for burgers the day that we saw um Nick Cave and I think it was a strip club I'm not sure it was very kind of like all kept to one area okay Uh, great burgers that so, sounds like that sounds like a good night. Strip club, burgers, Nick Cave. Yeah. That's that's not that sounds like a pre-COVID night out. You know, now it's just Netflix and sitting at home watching TV. I feel yeah. no. This is we are a movie review blog, so kind of let's get back to talking about yeah. movies of sorts. It's we're not a travel program. We might kind of retrain and kind of venture out into that, depending on the world that's been. But uh, you were talking about Luxembourg. You will have you've worked in Belfast, I think, with the fall series yeah. two. I think you're in. I mean, your your memories of of working on that. Oh, that was amazing because that was kind of. Um, I mean, I think I did a self tape when I was nineteen, and then drove up to Belfast to meet Alan Cubitt, and I thought that it was going to be, um, you know, a couple of scenes or whatever, and then I was in every episode, and then they brought me back for a bit of season three, mm-hmm. and it was just the best. Like the crew on that are just so competent and creative um i love belfast belfast is one of my favorite places i was saying each time i think i stayed in the europa which is like just so in the center of everything and i feel like at the time and i don't know if it's changed but it felt like there was this wave of um like the next generation opening these amazing businesses like loads of kind of little independent coffee shops loads of really nice shops and pubs and bars um, so it felt like a really kind of buzzing, vibrant place. It is. It just, well, it, you know, it is. It's just kind of in a bit of a lull right now with everything that has been. But yeah, you know, Belfast is good. I am tempted to throw in the obligatory joke that at one point when you were staying in Europa, how many people did tell you that it was the most bombed hotel in Europe? Every single person. There wasn't <laughs> yeah, one person in my past who didn't say, you know. <laughs> we love, we, it's, it's one of the facts that we love to tell. We love to tell you those things. But you were talking about... Um, you were you were talking about things being vibrant, you know. Generally, your thoughts as a performer, you know, in the in the arts in in Ireland, how have you seen the the Irish filmmaking scene change and evolve and grow with such confidence? Like you're involved in one of my favorite films, a film that was introduced to me by Ethan Barr from Empire Films. He really championed a date for Mad Mary to me. Finally, got round to watching it, and I absolutely loved it. And it's one of those films, and this feels like a lifetime ago now. I remember at the Dublin Film Festival earlier this year talking to filmmakers about like stuff like Rialto and things like that, about this new wave of talent, both off screen and in front of screen, that's um, that's coming through. And you're definitely part of that new talent that's coming through. So what's it feel like? You talked there about new wave. What's it feel like to be a part of that new wave of an Irish filmmaking scene? Like there's so much going on. And I mean, I know that at the moment there's not a whole lot going on anywhere. But I'm still, you know, there's still stuff that's getting ready to go as soon as they get the go ahead. There's so much stuff in pre-production. There's so many things that have been halted. But I feel like Ireland has really created a name for itself for having these really kind of, that kind of naturalistic, raw emotion. And I think that's the difference. A lot of these kind of like big Hollywood films or um, stuff that comes from, you know, um, America is 
often very big and bold. And I think what we do is we bring it down to what really matters, which is people. And it's like, you know, Lenny Abramson with normal people. It was so low key and just like two people talking in a room. And actually that draws you in. You feel like you need to sit forward. It's not like a sit back and text on your phone and you'll still know what's going on. Like you've got to pay attention. Um, And I think that's kind of something that Ireland has kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's it's really our thing now. Mm. Um, And there's so much new talent. Like I feel like every day I'm hearing about new actors and they're all so good. Like I feel like like they just know what they're doing. Like, um, and yeah, I I mean, I feel like there's more stuff than ever being made in Ireland. It went through a period, actually because I live in London but I know when I was living here when I was like 19 20 um it didn't feel like there was as many things happening the quality was always fantastic um but now it feels like there's so much going on and there's so many new casting directors doing amazing work um and it's it's a really exciting time I think like I feel like there's an endless array of things to watch from Ireland all the time yeah it's a really exciting time you know we're just kind of covering it but I mean it's exciting to kind of see what's coming out and the new stories new time of universal stories that are being told that aren't just wild mountain time let's not kind of talk Stop too it. much about that you mean you've worked with Jamie you mean you've seen I mean he, he he's he's one of our own he's one of our own I mean I don't know if the man's ever heard an Irish accent in his life I don't know Bigora <laughs> Bigora, Bigora, Bigora. But it's just when you when you say stuff like that about the interest in stories and the interest in filmmaking, interest in stories that filmmakers are telling here. And yeah. then you mentioned about kind of stuff that's been told out that's coming in and representing Ireland. I think those comparisons, they feel like night and day right right yeah. now. You know, the, the irony of Walt Mountain Time, I watched the trailer about 10 times last night. I think everybody has, yeah. It's just, I mean, the one good thing that's come out of it is all these amazing like TikToks and like takeoff videos that people are doing. Mm-hmm. It's so brilliant. But there's just something like you have to laugh or you'll cry because there's something about this American idea of what it is to be Irish. Like I actually thought that this was set like 50, 60, 70 years ago, like a hundred years ago. And then there's a shot like of them in America. And it's like, oh no, this is now. This is, this is you think this is like just outside Mullingar. Um, so I feel like we kind of have had to like take responsibility and show people actually this is who we are and these are the stories that we have mm-hmm. to tell and we don't talk like that I don't know anyone who talks like that so I mean because that's actually something that I get asked a lot like when I'm doing Q&A's in um, London and Canada or whatever it's never really in Ireland but people are always like why don't you talk like you're Irish Oh, you've got my next question, Don. Or you've got to nailed my next question. <laughs> no, I'm, no, but I'm, I'm literally only. I'm joking. I'm joking. Go on ahead. Go on ahead. I'm not. I'm not. I am joking. Yeah, there's this, this kind of like idea that we talk like, well, one that we all talk the same. Like mm. there's about fifty different accents in Ireland, and none of them are similar to the, the next one. Um, but it's also like, what do you think that we talk like the leprechaun in The Simpsons? Like, it, it's, it just baffles my mind. And it, I always get really, like, I try to kind of laugh it off or whatever, but I do get offended because I'm like, I am Irish. I grew up in Wicklow, went to school in Dublin. Of course, like, you know, we all travel, we all get out. So we're out and we watch a lot of television and film. So, of course, our accents are going to change over the years. But 
I feel like that's one thing that is important from these kind of like homegrown films and TV shows is just to show like this is how we talk. <laughs> just yeah. get that one bit right. Yeah, and I... people do it well. Like Daisy Agar Jones did a phenomenal job at the accent, so there is no excuse. You can do it really, really well. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, accents are everything. I mean, even up here in Northern Ireland, you could travel seven miles and accents and stuff can change completely. Yeah. Uh, we'll not even talk about Balamina accents, but that's for another discussion, another time. But, you know, I know we are you are doing a junket. I mean, your time is precious. And thank you so much for talking about Luxembourg and accents and Wild Mountain Time and things like that. We are talking about the racer as well. We have talked yeah. about that. That's the important thing. But yeah. uh, generally, you've mentioned that. I mean, if I'm are you you're 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 back in Ireland at the minute. Is that due to is that due to the COVID pandemic or? kind of a combination i'm actually um shooting brendan muldowney's um new horror film next week so i had to kind of isolate for a couple of weeks here um so that'll be exciting and i also i'm releasing a christmas single so i wanted to kind of isolate for a couple of weeks so i could like you know obviously all covid secured and um, go and shoot a music video um so yeah there was a couple i mean it was my also it was my birthday so it was really nice to kind of like it was like two birds one stone like get to mm. see my family for my birthday and um shoot this movie in a music video so um yeah i'll probably be here for another few weeks and then sadly go back to london until christmas when i'll be back again yeah uh, you know just on that you know have you been on set during the current pandemic i mean what what is that like or is this your first time venturing on set we i also should note that we run a horror festival so the fact that you're shooting uh, a horror yeah. here in ireland has it ultimately okay there i've got kind of earphones on right now but that has tweaked my interest with a, another irish horror because they've been doing the irish you know irish filmmakers have been pretty much taking over the the horror genre uh yeah. of late you know um your yeah, what do you think of the hole in the ground I thought it was great. Really loved it. I love the fact that it was something that was authentically, just going back to what we mentioned, authentically Irish and yeah. had its kind of feet firmly in kind of Irish folklore and all that kind of stuff, like the ideas of the changeling and things like that. And yeah. I just thought it was, I thought it was great. I think Sean curse like is like made to do those kind of badass roles. Mm. Like you just don't want to fuck with her. She's so cool. Yeah. So I thought she was great in it. Um, yeah, we have. I feel there's a lot of stuff that could, because I think we've got this thing of like we've got this rich history of folklore and these really kind of spooky little tales. So there is a lot of um, a lot of stories that you could tell in Ireland, and I think maybe that's why. Um, but I mean, I love Brendan Muldowney. I loved Pilgrimage, and this is a terrifying script. It will absolutely ruin every night's sleep that you're going to have for the next year. I like even in the mornings, I'm scared. I'm still. I don't really trust. <laughs> I don't really trust where I am right now. But um, no, it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. And it's. I mean, I feel I did a short film um a few weeks ago. But apart from that, it will be my first time back on set. Do you um, think? I mean, are you? I know you're kind of saying you're home and you're isolating. Are you? nervous about that are you apprehensive or do you think it's a thing that maybe now you're overthinking and then once you get out on set and you're out working you know you know working on set it's a long day start stop start stop that eventually it'll just be a case of you'll kind of just if it'll just be motor uh, like memory must you'll just click into gear and just forget all about it memory because i really don't like um this i don't like the comfortability of this year of isolation I don't like, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love being home and I love being in my apartment in London. And I love like, I, I feel like I'm 
90% antisocial, 10% social. So it's not that I even am that bothered about not getting out and seeing people. But it's the it's the it's the fact that you don't have something that makes you nervous. Like you're not going to an audition and getting nervous. You're not, um, you know, meeting someone uh, for the first time and having to make a conversation. You're not um, getting on public transport and having to be aware. I feel like it's also trained us out of being in clothing, like like actual jeans instead of tracksuits, and it like it has kind of undone a lot of the things that a lot of the training that has made us human beings but I do think that it will be as simple as you know I'm back now and I know how this goes and there's always a fear even when you're not isolating beforehand even when everything's normal I'm always afraid going onto a set even down to like oh wait what's the order is it like rolling and then action or do they say action and then I'm going to act at the wrong time it's down to the most like minute details that I overthink things so I don't think that will ever go away but I also think that that energy is kind of what makes a performance come out of you like energized um so yeah I mean I'm nervous but I'm also so excited to get back into it well look I think uh, I have taken up enough of your time thank you (laughs) so much for this chat I mean you've definitely sold me on Luxembourg and right. now I have another Irish horror film to look forward to, hopefully in oh, 2021. So maybe we'll get a chat to talk about then. And maybe then, Absolutely. maybe by then, by the time we get talking again, you might finally be sleeping again. You might be able to sleep. And, maybe. You know, we'll see. Even a couple of hours will do. Fingers crossed. Anyway, Tara Lee, thank, thank you, so you very much. much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. So that's my interview with Tara Lee and I'm joined now by local blogger James Oliver and we're going to talk about the film and I guess we don't need to talk too much James about setting everything up for our listeners we've already done that with Tara we've talked about what the film's all about and the idea of the domestic which is something I'd never heard of before but then I'm not a big cycling fan before we kind of get into that are you some are you big into your cycling James are you a cyclist or are you someone who you know, every year finds themselves glued to the TV. I think it's ITV or ITV2 show it, possibly Eurosport. Do you find yourself glued to the TV watching the Tour de France? Not at all. I'm not remotely a cyclist or into that sport or have ever watched the Tour de France. So, <laughs> so how excited were you when I said, James, we're going to watch a cycling movie all about the Tour de France? Well, to be fair, I... Um... As soon as you said what the film was, I was like, okay. And as always, I went and looked up the trailer and I liked it. Yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, this actually looks pretty. This actually looks pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So I was intrigued to see it. So, yeah. You did more than me because when I, when I had, I did the interview with Tara. So I watched the film. I didn't want, I've kind of this year kind of tried to make an effort now to stay away from trailers. I know we'll be talking about this later on with Wonder Woman 1984. It's actually going to be released in a in a cinema, James. It might even even be released in the cinema where you work at in the unnamed company that that is he operate in many cinemas across Northern Ireland and Ireland that James refuses to let me mention that he that he works at. So we will be talking about that. There is the possibility that this film will be released in cinemas. I know it's also getting a simultaneous release on VOD platforms. We will be talking about Wonder Woman and cinemas reopening in just a bit. We'll talk about that in any other business 
element. But uh, yeah, as I was kind of saying there in my typical rambly way, I've tried to stay away from trailers. I watched this going in completely blank, didn't know what to expect. And I thought it might have been something like the program, which was out a few years ago, which kind of deals with the kind of the ex the the expose on Lance Armstrong. And it's not, it does deal with the fact that there was, we don't know, we still hear rumors that, you know, there was a time when doping was a major part of the cycling kind of uh, scene. This film pretty much says right from the get-go, this is kind of what's happening. Importantly, it's the year before Lance Armstrong rocks up and starts to win those Tour de France after Tour de France after Tour de France. And this is kind of showing you just kind of how how, how it was accepted, how kind of it, it was an open secret within the industry that this was going on. We see that right from the get-go uh, in this film that, you know, this is all what's happening, you know, this is, of course, for anyone we, that didn't really listen to the interview with Tara Lee, it set the scene. It's set in 98 when the Tour de France came to Ireland. I vaguely remember it, James. I'm slightly older than you. Just before we started <laughs> to record, you were saying you were six, didn't you say? Six? Yeah, I would have been six years of age, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you, you, remember this, you remember this vividly? Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> Just couldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same with me. I, I said I wasn't massive into, still not massive into cycling. I know a couple of friends that are big into their cycling. Mm -hmm. They both love to go out and cycle, and they also love to watch it. And around that time, even then, they were that kind of engaged. So I, I was about, what would I be? I'm trying to think with Maz. Um, I'd have been 13, 14. Vaguely remember it. Vaguely remember it being a big thing. That's kind of, I can vaguely remember it being a big thing that the Tour de France was in Ireland. We have the opening in Dublin. So that's kind of that. So that's kind of setting the scene. The Tour de France is coming to do the first few stages in Ireland. The open secret throughout the industry is that doping is going on. And this was the year, 98 was the kind of the, the, the big year when, you know, a lot of the big cyclists were caught doping. So it's a... It's based on true events, but it's a fictitious. If it's a fictitious story, we have the the character of Dom, who's the domestic. He's designed to play a role in the team, where he is to keep setting the pace and ensure that the the team's star racer gets the yellow shirt. That's kind of very much of a kind of simple down kind of setup for what the film's all about. We've already talked about it, as I said, with Tara. So James, let's get right into it. What did you think of the film? I liked it, yeah. I liked it a lot, actually, um, more so than I thought I would have. Uh, it's just a really good drama film that just sucks you, you know, brings you right into the action and what's going on and just kind of takes it from there. So I was very pleased with it, yeah. Did you find the fact that you're not into cycling at all, did that put you off in any way? Or did you find that there was enough there to to feed you in and keep your interest without kind of getting too lost in all the kind of the doping stuff and the generalities of actual cycling and a cycling team. Yeah, like it, um, I felt that it kind of, you know, gave you the information that you needed to know without being too heavy handed with it. And I don't really mind kind of sports biopics slash, you know, fictional films. Um, like I loved Battle of the Sexes with Steve Carell and Emma Stone, even though I don't remotely watch tennis. 
So, you know, it, it kind of gave me that sort of vibe. Like, it gives you the information you need to know and not too much, not too little. And then you're like, oh, okay. So it sets you up perfectly for following then what happens next. Yeah. I like you. I really like this. Didn't know anything about it. We were sent this by a distributor who said, would we want to talk about this? Would we want to interview Tara about the film? And I said, yes, please. Thank you very much. And uh, didn't know what to expect because it's that type of film. As I say, when it's it's an Irish-backed production, you expect to hear that little bit more. You maybe would expect it to appear on some of the festival circuits already at this stage. I know the film has had issues with the festival scene because of COVID, but we'll not talk about that. But I was really pleasantly surprised, really pleasantly surprised by this. I thought it reminded me a lot. And again, I always run the gauntlet here of mention a film, but I'm going to assume, James, you've seen this. I have faith, even though you've just said to me just before we started to record that you only watched An American Werewolf in London this week. But, you know, that's that's just me. That's not me. I'm not here to kind of patronize. I'm not here to kind of talk down to you. But it reminded me a lot of The Wrestler. I mean, have, so have you seen The Wrestler? No, actually. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, it reminds me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Let's, let's just scrap the whole thing. But no, this, this reminded me to an extent of that idea of The Wrestler. So we have the character of Dom, who's the domestic. He is there. He's nearly getting kicked out of the team at the start of the film. He's then brought back in. He's kind of looking for his ride his for a team for next year. He's hemming and hawing about retiring. And it's that idea of you see very early on the physical toll that not only the cycling side of things, but also the doping have done to his character. And he's persevering and he's persevering. But you're not quite sure what really he wants to persevere for because he seems quite content. Although we constantly get these dream sequences about, you know, cycling, getting to the race, getting to the, the, the finishing line and not quite getting there. So there's an extent, there's to an extent we see that someone is quite content to what he's doing, but also feels that I want to be winning races. And I, I yeah. mean, I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard discussion when you haven't seen the wrestler. That's some idea of someone who's at kind of he's at the end of. And I don't want to talk because this is not a spoiler cast. It slightly undermines itself, I think, in its conclusion how it wraps everything up. But there's that sense of someone who is coming to an end. He doesn't quite realize his body's not able to do what he used to be able to do. Now he's heavily reliant on the doping that is going on. My my major criticism without going into spoil, spoiler territory is I find the resolution in the finale, particularly the film's final moments, a little bit kind of... I, you know, you're left going, okay, we've went through this for an hour and 40 minutes what exactly have we come to? This resolution isn't satisfactory. Talking around it without talking specifically, did you have that issue? Or... Yeah, I, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, it just, it, like, before you, like, as you, <laughs> this is really hard to talk around it without spoilers, but yeah, it got to that point and then up roll the credits. I was like, I, I don't really, I was like, I'm not overly satisfied with that. And like, I, don't get me wrong, I if you're gonna have a film that has like an ambiguous ending, for me, 
it kind of has to be like a thriller or psychological thriller or something like that for a sports biopic slash you know uh, fictional pick i i was just kind of like i don't i don't know what happened i was like i'm i don't feel fulfilled i want you know i wanted like a you know he 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 knew where he was going and then it just sort of didn't and i was like oh okay so yeah, yeah. i was a bit you know i was a bit like oh, oh okay it, and it was great up until that point <laughs> it's not like again i don't want to talk too much about the wrestler because you haven't seen it i would definitely recommend watching that film you know the, f- the final moments of the wrestler are they're heartbreaking because it's that idea of someone who's doing something that he loves but probably because he doesn't know anything else and doesn't know you know how to kind of get himself out of this not lifestyle but out of this profession yeah has pushed his body to the absolute limits knows the risks of carrying on knows the severe risks of carrying on and and pushes through and this is and it's just that sense i think had this film finished you know maybe 20 seconds maybe 30 seconds before the fight very closing moments i think it would have been in my mind more satisfying that idea of someone pushing away from this lifestyle and you know we see that there's there's sequences where kind of there's decisions on made on whether to carry on with the doping decisions yeah. made to carry on being the domestic someone who's never going to win the race decisions that are made and then it's like in the very final moments which i think makes the film quite sad in a way where where those decisions are kind of yeah well you know we've, we've done all this but we're still going to carry on and that's as kind of unspoilerific as i can kind of be yeah. <laughs> even though i'm aware it's quite spoilerific but uh yeah that that's my criticism i think you know people might not like the fact that and i don't know if it was an issue for you, for you there's no real judgment on the doping situation you know the film's not there to to pass judgment really on the dope and the only character we get i think it's leo who who comes in one of the the cyclists who refuses to dope and he's also almost made almost vilified in the fact that he won't dope he wants to race clean and there's a sequence very early on it's not a spoiler where they're all just kind of supermen it, it just gets me tired watching them i don't know about you james I just get tired watching watch some cycle, and we have this guy Leo, who's pretty fit. You know, he's a fit guy, and I think it's they're in the mountain stretch in Ireland, and he's struggling, and they're kind of getting. And then there's a sequence which I I think is probably one of my favorite sequences in the film, where they're all at breakfast the next day, and it's like what's not said, and this kind of we have Ian Glenn's character Sonny, who I love, who's yeah, the who's the team's coach. And uh, well, not the team's coach. He's their their doctors or a part of the medical team. He's the person that's in charge of the doping and administering the doping. And this kind of this it's that idea, James. When you like to think when you were young, when your mama mother always said, "If James jumped off the bridge, would you jump off it too?" That idea, and you see peer pressure in action in that film, and you see how oppressive that can be in that environment, the idea of peer pressure. I don't know if you'd agree in that or not, you know, but that scene, I feel really, I do feel really sad for Leo in that, in in this film. He's the one who doesn't want to dope, but yet you get a sense he's being peer pressured. And he is peer pressured. He is kind of peer pressured in the end to kind of, hey, I'll do it. And did you, did you want more judgment 
from you as um, a I don't know I I mean I I knew I would no I would say I'm, I'm I would say I was pretty content with you know the overall like implications of how bad it is sort of thing I think if it had went two more into it or been a bit more happy with it it might have lost what the story was actually about if that makes sense so it wouldn't have been so much about Dawn, but rather would have taken away from that entirely. Yeah. And it would have been about something entirely different, which still would have been a great watch, but I don't think I don't think as great. Personally. I think I think it's a good move. I agree with you. I think it's a good move not to let yourself or not not to, for the film not to let itself become focused on the doping situation. Yeah. Because I think it's. I think what it, I think in trying to do that, it's trying to make the point that it is pretty much everywhere. It's it's running rampant within this sport, so yeah. let's not try. And there's no point in us trying to have a character that says, you know, I'm going to go and be clean and I'm going to clean up this sporting industry because you know the ironic thing is in '99, the year after we have Lance Armstrong resurfacing on the scene. Lance, again, I'm not big into cycling. I've watched the program. Which I would recommend. I think it's a, it's a solid, it's a solid film. I think the book it's based on is much better in trying to get a let someone who's maybe not into is into cycling, as I'm. You know, a film like the program is much more in about exposing that, uh, yeah, that scene. And I suppose the character that that we, particularly you and I, probably would probably have most common with is the character of Tara Lee, you know, the medic. I think it's Lynn who's coming in. She's the team medic. She's in there. She's uh, she's helping them out. And she suddenly becomes aware of how rampant the, the doping is within this particular team. You know, she, she I, I don't know. It was something I know I mentioned with Tara, you know, the fact that we are like her. We are the outsiders here. And I, I think... We needed that type of character. Whilst the film doesn't let itself get focused on dope, but I think we needed that type of character who was the outsider looking in to realise just how bad things were. Yeah, it's like looking through looking through a window almost at like, you know, like you say, how bad the situation is. So and then it's again not being too spoilerific, but it's whenever she kind of realizes herself, eh, she's a bit, you know, She's not all guns blazing about it, but at the same time, she has her concerns and she's less impressed almost because, you know, these guys are meant to be these proper athletes and yet here they are sticking themselves and, you know, with drugs every every so often in order to, you know, get like performance enhanced almost to take on this, um, this Tour de France. And so she feels almost disappointed by that you know it's not so much angry but it's just let down mm. i feel yeah i would agree i i think i do think tara lee's great in this in yeah yeah i think yeah, it really is it's one thing i have to say no she is really the only feminine or she's only, she's she's the only female presence really in yep. this film we have dom's sister who's never seen but has only heard on the phone yeah and I think what I like about her character in a complete on-showy way, okay, there's one great scene I mentioned. I talked about this with Tara. She she throws a good punch. Yeah. Uh, she can hold she holds her own. She's not kind of she's not overawed by in this 
in this environment, in this very male environment. And I don't have an issue. You know, we talk about representation. We have to accept there is certain stories and certain films that will feature overtly masculine casts, overtly yeah. feminine casts, a female cast. But um, I think she she comes in here. She's a strong character in her own right. I think it's great. Though. I mean, she is very much us in this. While she is a medic, someone from a medical point of view, she's the outsider who suddenly comes to realize how rampant the the use of the likes of EPO is within the the sport. And uh, yeah, it's a hard one to kind of really kind of talk a lot about in that sense. You know, without going yeah. into spoiler, there is things I admire. I think like the score. I think okay, there's a bit too much boys own for my liking. <laughs> it's like okay it's 98 we get it it's the 90s it's ireland there's an awful lot of boys own there's a lot like when we're introduced to tara lee's lynn's character her family it's all in the bar i know families like that you know i think we well <laughs> back in the day when we could all go to the pub but yeah. um bar the use of boys own, i think the score is great i think it's hans um hans de mayer i could be getting that horribly wrong is the composer but uh, I thought it was great. Like even in that opening sequence, where we see it's kind of like they, they're all going in and they're getting the EPO, and you see him going on the tre- on the the treadmill or not the treadmill on the cycling machine. Um, it's just got a really good kind of upbeat kind of pumping score. This is what you need. I love those scenes where it's you know him in training, and it gives you like it gets really kind of microscopic with it and the sounds are like, you know, the change in the gears, the, mm. you know, the brakes, the sweat, like everything. And it just gives you like such a close up look of it. I love those things to be fair, because it just shows like, you know, how much determination that he's willing to put in and to put his body through just in order to not be the guy who wins it sort of thing, you know, like, or who's not meant to win. Sorry. You know, like he's just, you know, he's dedicated to the team, but also to his role as a do- domestic. Like, mm. that right? Yeah. So, did you not get tired watching him do all that? Though I find myself like kind of going, I need a nap. I need a nap <laughs> from watching this. I mean, I'm okay. I'm far from the fittest person in the world. I've come to accept that. I have no, come no. to abs- accept that situation. But uh, oh my god, I I find myself getting so tired watching him just doing all this, all that kind of on the trade, particularly the scenes like because we have the, the some stuff's really tense. Like there's the stuff. Um, I think it's a side effect from the EPO is heart rate drops, and that's yeah. why when he's having the dreams, he goes to bed. Or when he when he's in bed, he goes to he goes to sleep with the heart monitor on, and then when it's so low, he gets up, and he's like cycling away, and you're like, oh my god. I mean, first thing in the morning or whatever it is. Low heart rate or not, that's the last thing I'm going to do. I kind of like struggle to get to the bathroom. <laughs> I really struggle to get to the bathroom. But for you, um, I know I've mentioned Tara Lee there. I thought she was great. And it's not just because we got to speak to her. I thought she was great in this. Um, I have to say, I'm going to get the name of the actor horribly wrong. It's I know it's Lewis. Uh, Lewis, the, the central actor in this who plays Dom. I thought they were great. Ian Glenn, we've already mentioned as well. Any other standout performances for you? Throughout the feature, and um, the uh, again, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, but the uh, yeah, the Italian, like the one who's the you know the main star of the team. I the thought dick. he was really good. The dick, uh, yeah. basically, yeah, yeah, the dick. The, yeah. Um, he just did a really good role of like, like making you hate him, but at the same time, you know, you were like, well, 
you know, dude's kind of got a point. It's like if you were that guy on that team, like the VIP, would you not kind of all the time be like, yeah, look at me, I'm awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like you're all here because of me. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So it's like I can sort of reason with you, but you are just a massive dick at times. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole kind of the anxiety attacks the night before the race and stuff, and you're just like, oh. Could I be arsed with someone who you know is clearly that good at cycling? Okay, the EPO is there. It's yeah. but you're just like, oh, you're just a dick. And that's why I think that's why I love I, I know we kind of haven't we've kind of really touched on it. Tara Lee gets to punch someone, and Lisa's needless to say, it might be someone who we've just talked about. And I find it really satisfying. Yep, it's um it's probably one of the best punches I've scene thrown in a film just the connection with it mm. is spot on you're like well done i it's like i would have done the same thing yeah because <laughs> he's so, just all up in her face and just being disrespectful and then you know we roundhouse there for you <laughs> for you james I mean i mentioned the wrestler as a comparison piece you know yep. the, the idea of the wrestler on a bike it's i will i always feel the need at times to clarify statements when i say them i don't think it's anywhere in the league of the rest i think it's a it's a far superior film and, and knows from start to finish what it wants to do yeah that's not to say this is a bad film in comparison but what are the sporting dramas that you would maybe say to someone listening to us now you would say well if you've watched the racer what would be the type of stuff that you would maybe push them to for Honestly, a... it would like in, in like sports drama, like film wise. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, honestly, it, like I said at the start, Battle of the Sexes. It's, I, it's one of my favorite films. Um, I, should I go into the story or just leave it at that? Oh, go for it. <laughs> far, far, it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So Steve Carell and Emma Stone portray um Billy Jean King and Bobby Riggs, respectively, who were like Bobby Riggs was the man's former number one man's. Uh, champion tennis champion and um billy jean king at the time is the woman's number one and so I, i'll give you just like the brief outline of it is basically bobby riggs is kind of um in a sense kind of like the you know the italian guy in this film you know he's, he's the dick he's basically yeah. a dick i've seen i've yeah. seen battle he's, of sexes he's the dick yeah it's steve carell it's steve carell so he's a lovable dick but he's still yeah, a dick all the same. Still a dick, yeah. And he's like, you know, he's picking himself up and, you know, saying, oh, I can do this. I can do that. You know, he puts on like these silly exhibition shows for people just to show how good he is or how talented he is to the point where he just, he doesn't stop coaxing Billie Jean King until she says yes, basically. Like he just consistently nabs at her and keeps going on and on and on to the point where she's like, you know what? It's like, no one's going to shut you up. I'll shut you up. And I just, again, having not known anything about that match or anything about tennis at that time in particular, I just thought it was great. Like, it was just really intriguing. And I was like, Jesus, like, who, I wonder who wins this? You know, who's going to come out here? Because it could have went either way. And yeah, I just love it. So that would be my pick if you've seen this to go and then watch that. Yeah, it is a good film. I would also recommend the documentary that the film's based on as well. Which, oh, is there a documentary? Yeah, I've seen both. I've seen Battle of Sexes at the London Film Festival a few years ago and would definitely recommend, as James has, uh, given it a watch. The other two really I'd, I'd recommend as companion pieces. The Wrestler, as I've already mentioned, I think it's a really, it's, it is one of my favourite films and it's also got a great, uh, I don't think he does the score, but I know he does 
uh, a track for the film's credits, and that's a great song with um, Bruce Springsteen, which I think is great. And I think it's Mickey Rourke, and it's Mickey Rourke just being absolutely fantastic, and it's well worth a watch. The program, it's nowhere near as satisfactory as this, but if you're interested in kind of the doping side of things and how that was kind of discovered by the media that went from something from being open an open secret within the sport to you know an expose on a global scale and kind of we think back of what happened with Lance Armstrong uh, the program is an, another it's a it's a nice it would be a film you would watch kind of I think as a double bill with this if you're really mad about cycling I can't think of too many cycling movies off the top of my head no but um, the other thing I would say, and I guess I know the question already, the answer to this question, James, before I've even asked you, but you know, I'm a big fan of actually, I'm a big fan of Kieran J. Walsh's one of his early films or one of his earlier films, Jump, which I'm gonna assume I, I, I could be wrong, you might have seen it. No, sorry, <laughs> sorry to disappoint. <laughs> It's it's from memory. I think it's shot in Derry. It's filmed in Derry, features Derry, and it looks absolutely fantastic. And I would definitely recommend seeking out. It's not perfect, but then this idea of cinematic perfection it doesn't really exist. There's nothing you know. You can have your own idea of cinematic perfection, but yeah. So I think we're in agreement. I think we both. It's kind of a dull podcast. There's not much argue arguing here. No, but I think there's not for a change. But I think I think we both. I think we both like this. I don't. Th- I don't think it's outstanding. I don't know. Like, here's the thing. Now, I know you work in a cinema, James, and you. I asked you before we started to record. You don't think that this is shown at your site anyway? Yeah. yeah. Next week, when the film is released, you can see it in cinemas. It's also going to be released on VOD. Worth a punt. Worth a trip in this socially distant atmosphere. To the cinema, or do you think this is something you should, if you're not happy going out to cinema, maybe renting at home to kind of watch? See, this is a question I'm probably going to end up getting asked a lot in the coming months. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, you know, honestly, in all honesty, if it's, even if it's not something you're into, if it's like, I would kind of describe it a bit like a wee hidden gem, mm. you know, as in, haven't heard much about it at all. And then someone sees it advertised and goes, oh, oh, okay. And yeah, I would say worth a trip to the cinema. I, I wouldn't have came out disappointed if I had a, you know, if, well, sorry, if it's released and it ends up in my cinema, I, you know, if I hadn't have seen it, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, I wouldn't have been disappointed for paying the money, you know, for a cinema ticket to go and see it. Because yeah. I especially think those moments where it's, you know, his like rigorous training like regime on a big screen would be like, Pfft. You'd feel very claustrophobic almost, but like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you. I think if you... It's this idea people always talk about, do you need to be into the sport to enjoy the film? And the answer you genuinely, nine out of ten times, is is no. Like, I mean, as you said earlier, you don't need to like tennis to enjoy Battle of the Sexes. Yeah. You don't need to be into wrestling to enjoy stuff like The Wrestler or Fighting With My Family, all that kind of stuff. You, you kind of enjoy the the perseverance and you see what people have put through put themselves and their bodies through to succeed in this in in this particular sport and here we see that you know we see that front and center with the character of dom like there's a scene where it's him and tara lee and they're literally she's literally going 
Where'd you get this scar? Where'd you get this scar? Where'd you get this? Where'd you get that? And you just see someone that has put his body through hell to... But then there's the ironic thing. It's not to succeed at sport. It's the sense that we don't know how long he's been the domestic. We don't know how long he's been the support writer. Because yeah, you know, yeah, there's like a timeline of it. Yeah. We it, it, this is the weird kind of thing where you kind of get this sense that by the end of the film, is he gonna become the superstar of the? T- this is where I think this is where I have the kind of the niggles with me. Where I think the film kind of sells itself for this kind of I don't want to say rel- unrelentingly upbeat ending, but this sense. I don't know. I I've, I have without going into sport. I have real niggles with the ending. Where I don't quite think you know. They, we think of like the Rocky Rule, you know, all that kind of stuff. Where yeah. you take part, but it's not about winning, or this sense that someone is walking away from this sport because he wants to find a new chapter in his life. Those are all things that the, the film's finale kind of dabbles with, and then ultimately decides to go for something that is very on I find again I come back to without spoil I know we've touched on it I just find the ending really anticlimactic and a little bit unsatisfactory but that's my niggle do I still think it's worth a trip to the cinema if it's released and you get the opportunity I still think yes if you can if you don't want to go see Elf you don't want to go see Home Alone in December if you are Scroogey McScrooge and you don't want to watch Christmas movie upon Christmas movie (laughs) Because not everybody wants... Well, Wonder Woman in 1984 is not a Christmas movie. Or is it? We don't know. Maybe this was kind of part of the strategy all along. <laughs> but um, no, I, I I have niggles with the, the conclusion and niggles with the finale. Yeah. But I think the direction is there. I think the performances are there. I think maybe if I'm honest, and I'll see what you think, James, I think it maybe lacks the star part to pull you in if that makes sense that like the the lead actor in this he kept reminding me of a young michael fassbender he really oh like, my I, god oh my god yeah i was so hoping that someone else would notice that yeah i, remind, that, I was like it looks a lot like him don't it? <laughs> and you were like if this was michael fassbender i think that would you know, put well. I know it'll pull in my mum. My mum goes to see anything Michael Fassbender sees, even shame. But let's not go there. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just think, but then I suppose the film's within within its budget. It knows what it's doing. I just think it maybe lacks that little bit of star power that would bring. And I hate this term, the average punter, someone who'll be going, "Oh, Michael Fassbender's in it. I'll go see that." You know, Tara Lee, if you're down south, you might know she might she's a familiar face. I absolutely adored her and I absolutely adore the film. A date for Mad Mary. I think it's great. I know we talked about that with Tara during the interview. But um I that's my only thing. Looking at it from a salesperson point of view, like from trying to sell it, I think it just lacks that little bit of star power to get bums on seats. And we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on our state of cinema special where people like you and I will go, you know what, The Racer, well worth your price of admission. Go see it. Unfortunately, in a cinema like where you work, James, it's a film like Wonder Woman 1984 that will get bums on seats. And whilst it's been great this year, whilst cinemas have been opened, for them to get the opportunity to show the likes of St. Francis, which I know you didn't like, 
but I did. No, so. it's it's still had a cinema release, which is yeah. weird. It uh, got into the Omniplex where it probably normally wouldn't have got in. I could be wrong in a normal year. Yeah. Um, Saint Maud, I think maybe slightly different. Saint Maud was. Oh, did it not? No. No, no, no. Well, no. Um, we at. Uh, we were due to get it. It was uh, it was movie house that got it, but um, that's where I went to see it. I loved that film. It yeah. was so weird and so unnerving. And me and my mate were just like, honestly, we were like, we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Good, good, because I, I absolutely adore Saint Maud. It's one of my favorite films of the year. But stuff yeah. like that that normally wouldn't get a release in a multiplex cinema. And like the way James is now overtly outed himself for what cinema chain he works with when it's not Movie House. But uh, let, let's not go there. It could be IMC, James. It could be IMC. You never know. But <laughs> oh, yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I don't know. That's my only thing. When you talk about being worth the price of your admission, yes, I think this film is. But I just think to get your average punter who right now are sitting at home scrolling through oh what's on oh xxyz's on oh the racer what's it all about cycling mm, who's in it uh don't know him don't know him that's my only thing ian glenn is probably ian glenn probably maybe to an extent entirely probably the most recognizable faces i could yeah. Yeah. picture in this i don't know do you think that's an issue for the film that it maybe lacks star um, part yeah no no absolutely um like for example uh we have another Irish one, which is uh, due out with us this week, which is uh, Pixie, which um, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, whenever me and my girlfriend saw the trailer, it was, I can't remember what film it was on, but we were like, this actually looks hilarious. So, mm -hmm. so and again, it only has really, I don't know Olivia Cook, I think that's her name. I don't know her from much stuff, but she looks familiar. And I know it has Alec Baldwin in it as well. So Come on, Ready Player One? Oh my god, is that her? And she's in Thoroughbreds? Come on. Is that her? Yeah, James. Yeah, come on, James. Yeah, she's great. She looks so different in this film, though. And like, she's... she looks so, so different. It's, you know, it's not perfect by any means, Pixie. It's not, you know, any. Oh. it's not going to be in my top 10 films of the year, but yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think she's another one of those actresses that is just great with accents. Do you not think she looks really different, though, from what she does in Ready Player One and Thoroughbreds? Like, he looks like a totally different person. Mm, kind of. Maybe it is just me, but I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just you, James. I don't know. Because I was I was looking at the name and I, as well. I was like, I know that name. I was like, I can't think where I'm from. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, so I we're like we're excited to go and see it as well. But, um, yeah, no, it definitely is. I would say it is an issue. Like, when we reopened the... The first time round, um, for that short span, you know, there were a couple of films that popped up that, even though I didn't know too much about it, I'm like, oh, I've heard of that. Like, I'd like to go see that. But yeah, for your average punter, uh, we had so many. There were now there were some ones that we released which I had no clue of, and you know, people coming up being like, oh, what's this about? I've seen, you know, I've heard about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm trying to describe it as best that I can. And you could just see, like, they just weren't amused. Instead, they were like, oh, that Russell Crowe one on Hinge, right, let's go see it, even though it was terrible, in my opinion. Absolutely awful. Boo. But, no, okay. Well, yeah, but so, you know what I mean? So as, as soon as people saw Russell Crowe, because I think that was actually one of the first major films mm -hmm. that we had 
reopening. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, Russell Crowe. Cool. Yeah. You know, oh, it's an action filler. Yep, definitely. Okay, cool. Yeah. James, you're forgetting one key detail. It's What's not that? just Russell Crowe. It's fat Russell Crowe. I enjoyed Unhinged. Yeah, I enjoyed Unhinged. I thought it knew exactly what it wanted to do. It was a rough, tough as nails, bit of a nasty. There was a nastiness to it. Reminds me of Jewel and Fallen Down. I I liked that a lot. I didn't think it's perfect, not by any means. Um, I know in the I know we're venturing off topic now, but there was a couple of stuff I went to see when cinema reopened that you probably would not have seen in the cinema. I think I could be wrong. The likes of The Vigil, which I thought was okay. I didn't think it was... I, did. I yeah. didn't think it was superb. I've pre-ordered it on iTunes. Other online VOD services are available. Yeah. I want to re-watch it just to see if it was too harsh on it first time round. I, I have issues with that film. Stuff like Stage Mother, I went to see with Lucy Liu. I... That... That would not have got near cinema normally, I think, uh, in a non-COVID kind of yeah. world. That would not have got near the cinema, or at least near the likes of the Omniplex, the Movie House, IMC, all that type of stuff. I could yeah. be wrong. I don't know. But um, that's just my humble opinion. I think, James, I think with that, we will finish talking about The Racer. I think yep. we've both been very optimistic about it. It's out next week in cinemas and also on VOD services. I think we're both very positive about it. I think we'll move on from that to any other business. So this is any other business. Just going to wrap things up. I know I mentioned during the recording, James, that you'd watched An American Werewolf in London for the first yep. time. Film we were actually going to screen as part of the Dark Hedges Film Festival oh, before <laughs> it went completely digital. I have a lot of love for this. It's it's up there. I think it's one of those great horror films that manages to kind of combine horror and comedy really well and successfully and not lose itself along the way. But this is the first time watching it. So, you know, you were saying earlier on, you, you clearly enjoyed it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, first of all, it looks great in night. It wasn't 4K. It was just standard Blu-ray. But even, you know, you can get those 80s films that, you know, you, you've seen them like originally, whether it was on VHS or just DVD, and then you watch it again on Blu-ray and you're like, oh, yeah. So straight off the bat, you can really notice the quality if that's something that you are, you know, if you've, you really care about it. But yeah, um. So straight away, without even having seen it before, but I can just tell it was like the quality in this is really good. So yeah, and it was great. I just love the story. I love how it played out. Um, you know, was it all in his mind, or you know, was he just being a, a loony bin? And is that, the, is, is that yeah. the technical term, James? That you're going <laughs> with, yeah. <laughs> loony bin. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Well, schizophrenic. Then we'll say yeah. <laughs> um. Or was it just? You know something else entirely, and then you have that. I'm assuming we can talk about spoilers in this because it's it's an old film. Well, it's an old film, James. You've only got around to watching it in 2020. <laughs> Let's not say that. So, <laughs> I I think you know if you're gonna go down spoiler territory, my friend, just tread carefully. But... All I'll say is the the transformation scene is superb. Like, well, this is the actually you've preempted me. So you never seen this, but you must have seen. The transformation like it's always in like top top in the clip shows of scary moments 
yeah. moments. You must have seen the transformation scene or clips of the transformation scene before. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely seen clips of it because there were certain parts, even just of the film in general. I was like, that looks really familiar. And I was like, oh, yeah, because they always have it on like top yeah. 10 lists or, you know, and like the transformation scene is, you know, I've seen stuff in the past two years that that transformation scene is better than in terms of like CGI or whatever you want to call it, camera trickery or whatever. And it's like, it was just great, you know, and I'm like, how can you not achieve that nowadays? <laughs> yeah, someone back like 20 years ago was much better. <laughs> well, this is when you have someone who's trying to do everything in camera and not trying to trick you and not trying to use CGI. Very quickly, have you seen The Howling with by directed by Joe Dante? No. Okay, because that was that was the big at the time, that was the big kind of debate which had the better transformation, the Howling oh, okay. or an American Werewolf in London. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head which the two got there first i think it was the howling i think it, i could be wrong and i think it was the howling and I, but i think it's an american werewolf in london is the better transformation scene on my own humble opinion but yeah. i'd recommend the howling it's a lot of fun it's joe dante just having a lot of fun if you're a fan of joe dante from like gremlins the burbs all that kind of stuff um you know an american Werewolf in london i would definitely agree i i would recommend uh, anybody who has not seen it by now, just to prove to me that James isn't the only one who hasn't seen it by <laughs> now. But, um, and if you get a chance, you can't really see it because we're on a podcast, but the lovely Arrow 4K restoration, or I think it might be a 2K restoration from a couple of years ago, is lovely because all those restorations are great. Anything else, James? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to rack my head about what I've been watching recently. Um, I haven't... Don't think. Oh well, actually, there was one on Netflix um, the other week which I watched again first time. It, it's by no means brilliant, but it, it's still a decent film. Uh, Coach Carter. Okay, that's uh, yeah. Samuel L, isn't it? Yep, Samuel L. Jackson. And again, didn't realize until after the film it was based on a true story. I was like, oh, okay. So, and it actually has a pretty solid cast in it. Um, Octavia Spencer and Channing Tatum are in there as well. Uh, yeah, I, again, just really enjoyed it. Um, could could actually be used as another example in terms of, you know, if you're not into the sport, but yet it's a great film. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. Didn't even know it was on Netflix. Uh, yeah, it's it's floating about there somewhere. I'd watched Mank and kind of liked it. Thought it was fine for what it was. I, oh, my God. I'm wow. a massive... I'm not a massive because I know there's other people that have been on this podcast. Alexa Robert J. E. Simpson is a huge Orson Welles fan. I'm not I'm not a huge fan. I mean, there's stuff of Orson Welles I love. Yeah. Citizen Kane is one of those films that everybody has to at least watch. I admire a lot of it technically. I don't love it as much as others do. I would say to anybody who wants to get into Orson Welles, look at Touch of Evil, which I think's fantastic. I know Robert and I did a podcast about that a long, long time ago. It is one of the greatest establishing one-shot openings of a film ever. There's no denying, you know, what an amazing filmmaker Orson Welles was. I thought this, I thought this was fine. I am a big David Fincher fan. My lovely wife and I watched Seven for the first time. Well, I've watched Seven loads of times. She's never seen Seven before. Great um, show. Uh, we're trying to. I'm trying to see if I can coax her into watching more David Fincher. But um, I watched this on my own. There's no chance I was going to get her to watch it. I thought it was fine. Personally, now this may just be because I like 
you know, I'm slightly amateur in the fact that I haven't seen Citizen Kane. I know, like, I know who um, Orson Welles is and Herman J. Mankiewicz. I know who they are, but I hadn't seen the film and I had no idea into the goings on behind the scenes of the film. I sat for over two hours just confused as hell. I did not understand one bit of dialogue within it. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was just way too, it was out of my depth entirely. I was like, I don't get this. <laughs> I would say this, Citizen Kane's not like that. I think I, I heard Mark Kermode talking about Mank and he kind of said, look, a lot of the theories and a lot of the things that this documentary is talking about have already kind of been debunked already it's kind of a non-starter i think it's fine for what it is i'm a huge david fincher fan anyway so i'll happily you know watch his latest feature whether it's on the big screen whether it's on netflix i think gary oldman is great in the sense of i i just find it just a little bit muddled and it's one of those issues i seem to have a lot with the netflix stuff we get these great directors that have been told they're given creative control to make these projects that they wouldn't get to at a normal studio. And sometimes you just sit and go, sometimes there's a reason for that. And sometimes a little bit of intervention being told, you've got to do this and do that. It doesn't change your, your vision doesn't compromise your vision, but it can make something flow that little bit more. But that's just my own humble opinion. I think it's fine. I think if you're a massive Orson Welles fan, or if you're a massive, massive fan of Citizen Kane, you'll probably get more out of this. I like Citizen Kane, but it's something I watched at film studies because I was told to. I've never got away from that, if I'm honest. I've always it's kind of said I've never really enjoyed because it's not a film I've come to naturally. Give me, you know, The Godfather, Goodfellas, anytime over watching Citizen Kane. But yeah, if, if if you're at all interested in looking into kind of uh, uh, Orson Welles' back catalogue after watching that film, James, there's like F for Freak, um, The Lady from Shanghai, and Touch of Evil, which is definitely they're 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 well worth a watch. There's no denying you can just see the influence a filmmaker of Orson Orson Welles has had on modern cinema, or just watch Mark Cousins did a great documentary. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's went out of my head completely. I've realised that we've got through this podcast without even mentioning the fact, James, you now have your own podcast. So this is your opportunity. Do you want to tell our listeners about it and where they can find all about it? Yeah, sure. So um, thank you very much for that. Uh, yeah, so it's called the uh, Days of Future podcast, which for Marvel fans out there should be able to take where I got the name from. Um, yeah, it basically just, it's like, you know, any other film podcast you'd listen to, but just a wee bit more laid back, a bit more banter filled. Um, and it's I will ask I James, how can it be more yeah. laid back and banter filled than Banter Flicks podcast? You know, you know what? This not, is, this is not that I'm true, saying, but... not that I'm saying anything now. I mean, not that I'm kind of going like, oh, maybe I'll edit this out, this whole mention of James's podcast <laughs> in, in this post edit, but you know, well, I'm gonna say you can't get more laid back and banter than this. This is very true. Um, I think. Probably what I mean more for that is it just I don't edit heavily like at all. Actually, besides putting in the intro and outro music, you know, whatever I talk, I talk. If it's there, I keep it there. Um, unless I, you know, unless it's too bad. But you know, so far it's been all good. <laughs> but yeah, um, so this is something I wanted to pursue for years, and I had a microphone at one point, and then again I was just too lazy, and just during lockdown, just put it aside, and eventually I was like, no, you know what, I really want. To do this for myself and just 
you know, just for anyone who likes, you know, these podcasts that I've appeared on or likes any of my videos I've put up on Facebook. So yeah, so I put it out there. It's on it's currently on a buzzsprout.com, which is like the, the host for it. Um I tried to put it on Spotify, still working out the kinks for that. Um haven't got around to it yet. But yeah, um Buzzsprout, easy enough. It's you know, it's still up there and you can go on that, give it a listen. Uh the first episode is talking about the uh Warner Brothers announcement. Um, which if you've you've heard, like how could you not have heard that news? <laughs> but yeah, um yeah, and this week's episode we'll be talking about my top ten favorite films of all time. So if you really want to give it a listen. Thanks. Give us a number, James. It's not number one. Give us like number six. Uh, to be fair, I haven't actually listed like I've listed it one to ten, but it's not like what I consider one in ten, if you know what I mean. But number six was pretty sure it was Nightcrawler. Alright, I'll give you that. I think. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, <laughs> my book's upstairs, so I'm going to go and be like, ah, oh, crap, it wasn't even on here, was it? That's yeah, alright. I think it's fine. You, you just lied to the Vanderflix listeners, that's all. Yeah. That's, all that's okay. If you want to get the true <laughs> list, just listen to James's own podcast. So, uh, that's that. I, I guess I just, you know, thought we'd mention that just before we went. Um, all right. I'll say at this point is we have quite a few podcasts coming up. We have the next installment of Crime Scene to Screen, we have our next installment of the Disney retrospective. We have the Batflix tradition of the TV listings guide, which is going to be as manic as ever. We have a couple other pods with the, like the, I think next week we will have a pod all about the El Duce tapes, which is available now on VOD services. We will also be doing our Wonder Woman podcast next week. So that's a lot from us. And if you can't, aren't satisfied with those levels of banter and those levels of laid back, you can always listen to James' podcast. <laughs> so uh, on that note, thank you very much, James Oliver. Thank you, as always. And thank you very much, guys, for listening to this pod. We'll be back next week with another recording. But for now, until then, goodbye. Bye. This has been We Need to Talk About Movies. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit banterflix.com. See you next time. <laughs>